I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 2 as we continue our recently began study here in this wonderful Old Testament book, Leviticus chapter 2. And if you are able and willing, would you please stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour. He shall shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense and the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is the most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. When you bring a grain offering baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers smeared with oil. And if your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you shall bring the grain offering that's made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take from the grain offerings its memorial portion and burn this on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is the most holy part of the Lord's offerings. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. You shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. As an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits fresh ears, roasted with fire, crushed new grain. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. And the priest shall burn it, burn as its memorial portion some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all of its frankincense. It is a food offering to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Our God in heaven, indeed, this is your word. And we would ask that you would take your word, meet it with your spirit in our hearts, mold us and make us into the men, women, children that you've called us to be. Would you open our eyes, enlighten our minds, and would you, Lord, soften our hearts and bend our wills to, you, to yours? Lord, in my weakness, may your strength be made manifest. Would you, would you magnify yourself and put on display our glorious Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we ask these things. Amen. Please be seated. I'm going to begin this morning with a confession don't often do that, but I really do not like how selfish I can be sometimes. Have you ever thought about that for yourself and your own heart and your own life? Just before Christmas, I was at a Walmart and someone came up to me in the parking lot and she said to me, she said, can you help me? I replied, I, I can try. And she said, I need some ideas for a Christmas gift for my 15-year-old son who I am estranged from. And I said to her, I, I can probably help with that. And so we visited for several minutes. 
And then at the end of our visiting together, she, she asked me if I had $20 that I could give to her. I didn't have $20 that I could give her because I had a $100 bill in my wallet. I never carry cash, much less a $100 bill, but I did this day. I did not have a 20 to give her, but I had a 100. I could have given her that. And it still bothers me to this day. I would have given her a 20 because after all, that wouldn't have been costly. But to give her all I had, that's a different story. I noticed something else about myself. However, when it comes to those closest to me, to those most dear, my wife, my kids, I would gladly give up whatever it might be for them. Dad, do you want the last piece of bacon? No, son, you can have it. Now, you might not think that's that big of a deal. <laughs> but in my home, it's bacon. Son, you can have it. And I don't say that to put myself on display at all. I really don't. Just the other night, Jenny, Jenny had opened something to try it out. It was brand new. She had just gotten it out of the box, as a matter of fact. She had plugged it in so that it would charge. And Charlie saw it there sitting on the table. And he said, Mom, is this yours? Are you going to use it? I mean, you see, hint, hint, right? Are you going to use it? And then he caught himself and he then asked, Mom, would you like for me to take it into your bedroom and plug it in there so it'll be ready for you tonight? And in reply, Jenny said to him, No, honey, why don't you take it and use it? Are you sure? He asked. And she said, Yes, honey, take it. Because again, you see, when it comes to those we love, we're willing and even happy to give of what we have. We'd even offer our very selves to those we really love. Here in chapter 2 of Leviticus, we come to another type of offering. And in fact, the second of five offerings that we're going to encounter from chapters 1 to 7 it's not an animal sacrifice, but it is a grain offering. And some of your Bibles may have it a little bit differently. It's, it could be called a grain offering. It could be called a meal offering. I think the King James even has it called as a meat offering, although there's no meat involved. That was just a word used for a meal. A cereal offering, a gift offering, a token offering. But literally, it is a pledge offering. And the first part of this chapter gives instructions for both the uncooked and the cooked offering that is given. And then the second part in, in, in verses 11 to 16 tells us of the ingredients that are to be used or not used in those offerings. 
And so there's a lot there, and I'm going to warn you, there's some that we're not going to get to, even like the salt this morning. I've chosen not to spend time on that issue this morning. We're going to have opportunity to come back to this offering in Leviticus chapter 6. I'll say that again in just a few moments to remind us of that. But just to kind of tide us over that salt in the offering there, salt is a preservative, and it's to remind the people of the covenant that God had made with them that it is preserved by His Word. Uh, again, we'll come back to that at some point. But uh, that second part of Leviticus tells us then of the ingredients that are used or, or not used. But, but I don't want us to study this passage together as if it were simply or merely a recipe. Because we don't need to know the instructions and the ingredients as if we were just going to duplicate this offering. It's not why we're studying this together. We're studying it together because we want to know the why behind them, the purpose of the offering and the reality to which these offerings point. Well, this grain offering that we study this morning, um, this grain offering, it often accompanies the burnt offering that we studied together last week in Leviticus chapter one. And there's, there's good reason for that. Because in this offering, what's being communicated is, is simply this. Since through the burnt offering, the offerer is brought near to the Lord, since he has now been accepted in the presence of God by the blood that's been offered, how is he now to respond? Do you see the relationship? What is one's response to having been brought near to the Lord what is one willing to give up or to give in response to what's been done for him? Again, we'd offer ourselves for those we really love. What kind of offering do we offer to the Lord in response to what he's done for us? So I want us to look at that response as we look at this grain offering, and we're going to look at it in three ways. We're going to look to the response to the blood that's spilt. We're going to look to the response that God desires, and then finally, the response that God deserves. And there's a lot of, um, um, there's a lot of interwovenness here, here between these three, but it gives me a, a way to walk through this passage with you together. So first, the response to the blood that's spilt. And we're going we're gonna to begin the text in a similar way that we began the text with chapter 1 last week. That is to say, I want us to notice a particular word with how it begins. And it is a simple word, and it is when. When anyone brings a grain offering. I was asked a good question last week after worship that I didn't address in Leviticus chapter 1, but I'm going to address here now. And the question is this. When were these offerings given? Well, the way that our text begins helps us to answer that question just by simply saying, when anyone brings a grain offering. You see, these offerings that we're looking at here, these five offerings in chapters 1 to 7, unlike the offerings that are given at, those, at the prescribed festivals within the life of Israel, these, these offerings, and, and I really appreciate the description that was uh, given by Ligon Duncan. And he says this about them. He says they are voluntary, they are personal, and they are 
spontaneous. So again, there were no set times for these particular offerings. They were voluntary. They were personal. And they were spontaneous before the Lord. And I think that's good for us to be reminded of that. Or, or maybe even good for us to learn that here about these Old Testament saints. We often think that the Old Testament saints, um, or we think of the Old Testament saint as one who is just constrained by this sacrificial system that was instituted by God. In other words, that it was all ceremony to them and that it was absolutely devoid of any personal devotion or spontaneity. And, and indeed, for some, it may have been just that. For some of them, it may have been devoid of any spontaneity. For some of them, it may have been devoid of any devotion. For some of them, it may have been just a rote exercise in what they were commanded to do. But brothers and sisters, it could be the same for us today in the New Testament, couldn't it? It could be the same for us as we come to worship. That we are just coming because it's what we're supposed to do. And devoid of any personal devotion or affection for God. You see, these um, offerings, these, these were ways, or, or even in the Old Testament, there were ways that God's people could respond to God's goodness, to His provision, to His covenant faithfulness. And these sacrifices served as the vehicle as the vehicle that God's people could communicate their trust, their faith, their hope, their thankfulness, and their devotion to God. As I said in the introduction, this offering, this, this grain offering, often followed the burnt offering. What is the response of one who's been brought near by the blood of the sacrifice? It's worship, it's praise, it's thanksgiving, it's gratefulness for having been brought near. So this, this offering here, it's an offering of dedication. It's, it's an offering of devotion. It, like the burnt offering, is indeed a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Not of blood, but an offering of food. Of food. And not just any food either. I mean, we read about it, right? Whether it's uncooked or cooked, it's, it's of fine flour. And for the people of Israel, this, this, this would have been important because that is, that's their sustenance. It's their life. Fine and, and fine flour with some things with it, other things that are prohibited from it. So God was pretty particular with how this is to be offered to him. And it may seem strange to us. I mean, it may seem strange to us in today's world. I mean, we might even, and, and not even being facetious, not even being silly, it might ask some of us, particularly, or make some of us ask, particularly some of you younger kids, why bread? Does God really like bread that much? And the answer to that is no, God doesn't really like bread that much. We might ask, is, is God a fan of cinnamon rolls made with fine flour? Because after all, after all, if he is, then there's a way that I can be more like him. I really like cinnamon rolls. 
I'm like God in that way. But that's not what he's talking about here. That's not the purpose of it, is it? We've got to remember that for the people of Israel, they didn't have a Walmart on every corner and then a Harps or an Allen's or an Aldi's scattered around the wilderness. Yeah, at the next rock, turn left and you'll hit the Walmart. No, there wasn't any of that for them. I mean, we're talking literally about their daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. This grain was a reminder. This bread was a reminder that even what they were offering came from the Lord. Came from the fruit of the ground. Even what they were giving, they were but merely giving back to the one who had provided it. You know, a low-carb diet without bread or a diet without grains, it really is a 20 and 21st century rich world phenomenon. It would have been foreign to the ancient people of Israel. For the Old Testament believer, this represented life and their sustenance. Life and their sustenance. In, in other words, again, all they have and all they are comes from the Lord. And if that's the case, what do we owe to the Lord? All things. Right? I mean, it seems so simple intellectually. All things. And, and this is why, literally, this is called the pledge offering. Because it is the offerer pledging himself to the Lord in response to what he has done. Specifically here, in the context of these offerings, in response to the blood that's been spilt. In response to having been brought near to God. And even as I say that, oh dear brothers and sisters, and just as a reminder, I sit under my own preaching as much as you do. I hear it twice every Sunday. And I study for it all throughout the week. I sit under it as much as you do. Do we consider the blood that has been spilt to draw us near to God? To rescue us, to deliver us, to bring us into fellowship with the all-holy God. Do we really consider that? And when we do, what is our response? Are there any affections that are raised for the living God for what he's done for you in Christ Jesus? Does it move you? Are we moved in our affections for the Lord? Do we respond with the words of that last verse of that great hymn? Were the whole realm of nature mine there were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my... What? All. Demands my all. Well, that is, isn't it? A, a, a proper response to the blood that's spilt for us. When I survey the wondrous cross, that would be a proper response.
to give myself wholly. And that's part of the response that God desires as well. I mentioned earlier that there are things that are to be added and also things that, that aren't to be mixed in with the offering. Again, look with me to verse 11. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made a leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. And we read that and we go, well, huh, that's not going to be a very good biscuit, is it? And why not? I mean, leaven is what makes the bread rise. And that's so much better than a flat cake. Everybody knows that. And honey? Oh, who doesn't like a little bit of honey? Just to sweeten it up a little bit, right? So why not these things? Well, because these things are those things that ferment. And things that ferment, they corrupt. And so the, this, this represents a corruption in the offering that is to be presented to the Lord. God desires a response that is free of corruption. Worship that is free of corruption. And that says something to us, doesn't it? In regard to our response and and I would say in both ways, both our corporate response as a people and our individual response as well. This says something to us about our, our corporate worship. Our worship should be the worship that God desires, right? I mean, who are we to define what it is that God desires? Isn't he the one that defines that for us? Just like in the Old Testament, God informs us in the New Testament how he desires to be worshipped. And sometimes I think that we think of these things simply as restrictions. And are there restrictions? Yes. But I think we sometimes think of them merely as restrictions that God puts these in place just, so, just to keep us from doing something that we think would be better or something that we think would be more fun than what he says to do. I think we think that way about God. And that itself reveals something about our hearts, doesn't it? And about our thought process in regard to the Lord of, and, and of what He desires from us and what He wants for us. But God does give us ways to worship Him. And, and there are ways for us to do so voluntarily, personally, and, and spontaneously. So there are ways that God instructs us to worship Him as a corporate body. But there's also that response that we are to give as individual believers to the Lord as we contemplate that which he's done for us in Christ Jesus. Recall what the Apostle Paul tells the church at Rome as well as us in chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. As I read that, I cannot help but to think that Paul had these offerings in mind. In Romans, he had just said, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. We sang about that just a little bit ago, didn't we? And we think about the burnt offering, the blood of the sacrifice. And then he says, 
So all things are to him. He's done all things. All things come from him. And I appeal to you, therefore, present your bodies. There's the response. There's the grain offering. Do you see it? There's the pledge. I give myself wholly to you. Present your bodies. Present your whole self holy and acceptable before God. Holy and acceptable. What's he talking about? Without corruption. Without corruption. That's the response as believers. You may say, okay, what's the corruption? Yes, I get it. In the Old Testament there, honey and leaven, that's the corruption there. Well, that's in the shadow, but what about in reality? In the realities in Christ Jesus for us. Well, Paul answers that, doesn't he? In that Romans 12 passage, he continues. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Why? So that you may discern what is the will of God obedience to the will of God, not tempted, not tainted, not corrupted by the things of this world. That's the response of the believer. And we might, we might hear that and go, okay, gosh, I know that's the response, but holiness, righteousness, I don't know, just a little bit of honey, right? Just, just a little bit of honey to, to sweeten things up a little bit. Because after all, that sounds pretty boring to me. So just a little bit of honey, just a little bit of the world would make things a bit more fun. Henry Law was a dean of Gloucester in the early 19th century. He was an influential um, evangelical minister in the Church of England. And he wrote of this passage, speaking of honey, he said, honey is most luscious to the palate. But is it harmless? No. It soon proves a sickening and fermenting pest. Its sweetness tempts, but bitterness ensues. Here is a symbol of sin's flattering bait. It shows enticements in its front. It seems to call to rich delights. It promises a... Honeyed feast, but ah, the juice is gall. The dregs are wormwood. Sin's smiles end in hell pains. Too many of us know the truth of that reality, don't we? Sin's smiles end in hell pains. And we know that maybe temporally. We don't know that eternally. And oh, that we would not know it eternally. See, God desires our response to be wholehearted, uncorrupted devotion to Him. And it's the response that He deserves. Now, some of you already may be going, oh my goodness. If that's the response that he desires and that's the response that he deserves, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. Just wait, we're not done. Hang in there. There's more. Notice this too about our passage. Not, not only do we have the repeating, pleasing aroma before 
the Lord. But we have another repeated phrase or word. Verse 2, notice with me, the priest shall burn this as a memorial portion on the altar. Verse 9, the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion. Verse 16, and the priest shall burn as its memorial portion. Now we might notice, or we, the first thing we might notice, or maybe even ask, we might say, okay, but if, if it's a portion, then there's another portion, right? Because he's only addressing one portion, so there's got to be another portion. And yes, that's exactly true. There's part of the offering here that actually goes to the priests and to his sons. And we're going to have opportunity to talk about that when we come back and look at this, uh, this particular offering again in Leviticus chapter 6. Because what uh, the author, what Moses does is he comes back and he looks at it. Right now we're looking at this from the offerer's view. Here in just a little bit we're going to turn and we're going to look at it from the priest's view. So, so when we come back to it again, we'll spend more time there on, uh, on, on the portion that's given to the priest. Same thing with assault. We'll see that again um, later. But for now, I want us to turn our minds to the memorial aspect of this offering. Because we also see another word here. And this other word is probably a little bit more familiar to us because we read more in the New Testament. And that word is first fruits. Giving the best of what we've got. We understand that, right? But, I mean, there's a lot going on here in this passage. Um, And I hope I can communicate this last part in a way that's faithful and clear in a way that'll bring encouragement to your heart and to your faith. Um, when, it, uh, when, we, when we see here this memorial offering, uh, the word here is probably related to the verb to remember. That's not necessarily the hard part here as we're looking at it. It's probably related to the word, uh, to the verb to remember, that as the person comes, there's a remembrance that takes place. In fact, it was mentioned to me even um, in between services today that, that it's interesting, isn't it, that this is a big part of this is, is to remember. And when we think of these smells that are generated by the offerings, right? I mean, you can forget something and then smell something and it brings to your mind all of these things that you remember, right? In the same way here, we're, we're called to remember, but the question becomes... The question becomes, who's doing the remembering? Because as we look at that, there are some who argue that, that this is a request, that this offering is actually a request to God that he would remember his people. And that's not to say that God would somehow forget that they existed. That's not what it means at all. But in the sense that God would show favor to his people. This is familiar language in the Old Testament. Remember us, O God. And even the psalmist says, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or what is man that you remember him? What's being asked here is, What is man that you show favor to him? That's what this is about. It's, a, it's God, would you show favor to your people? Would you remember us? Well, others argue that no, it's not about, it's not a request that God would remember, but this is for the offerer himself to remember all the things that God has done for him. It's an acknowledging of, of this reality. But brothers and sisters, I don't think we have to choose between these two, nor do I think we should choose between these two. 
Because I think in the context of the offering itself, I think both are simultaneously true. One flows from the other. It is an acknowledgement, a remembering that all things come from Him. It's a reminder that the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. All things belong to the Lord. As Paul said in Romans 12, I remind us, where he says, Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? What Paul is saying is that all things come from him. How could we ever give him back something to repay him? Because we're simply giving back what already belongs to him. And because of that reality, though, our hope, our only hope, our, our only sustenance, our only hope in life and in death is God himself. That he indeed might remember us because he is our only hope. And he has remembered his people. How do we know that? Because the blood's been spilt. The blood's been spilt on behalf of God's people. And because of that, for those of us on this side of the cross, because of Christ Jesus, we owe him our whole self. Let that sink in. Not just a little bit. Not just a little bit of ourselves, not just some of what we have, but it all and we all belong body and soul to him. So I think a fair question is, what, what are we offering to the Lord? As those who have experienced his grace and his goodness, his mercy, what are we offering to the Lord? The leftovers, the heel that's just going to end up in the trash can anyways, or the first fruits. For some of you, might I even ask or anything? I mean, we can apply this in a lot of different ways, can't we? We can apply it in our, with our money. We can apply it with our possessions. We can apply it with our time, our efforts, our priorities, our desires, our actions, our thoughts. You name it. I don't know about you, but I'm convicted by that. You know, I remember as a kid, every once in a while, my mom would make cinnamon rolls for us three kids. And if you grew up around the same time that I did, they were made in a round pan. And all the cinnamon rolls around the outside would end up with that crusty edge. But not that middle one. Not the middle one. Oh, it was gooey and it was soft and it was sweet. And I am sure this isn't true, but I feel like my parents raised us kind of in a Jewish household where their firstborn got everything. <laughs> Not really. But I did feel like he got it all the time. And you know why I felt like that? Because I wanted it. 
I and they, fights broke out in our house over that middle cinnamon roll. I wanted what I thought was the best part for me. For me. In my life, in your life, are you still hanging on to that middle cinnamon roll before the Lord? Whatever it may represent for you. Believing somehow that you have rights to that claim. As if it didn't come from his hand. Or do you acknowledge that that, that entire pan belongs to the Lord? That he's provided it. And it comes from him. It belongs to him. And here's the wonder of it all. Here's the wonder of it all. To give the Lord that middle cinnamon roll, we think is a sacrifice. We think that every time we come and, oh man, look at me. Look, look what I've given up for the Lord. I hope that's not our heart. I hope that's not our thought process. But every time we come and we say, I, I, I gave this up to the Lord as if it was a true sacrifice for me. But do we understand that when we come to the Lord in response to what he has done for us, giving our whole selves to him, that it's not him that is blessed, but it is you. That's a wonder. That's the wonder of it, isn't it? That you still receive the blessing when you give, but what already belongs to him. That is grace upon grace, isn't it? That's grace upon grace. Not to mention that we have all things in Christ Jesus already. Do we believe it? Do we act like it? Practically speaking, I do understand. I get it because I do the same thing. I struggle with my own selfishness and my own pride and my own heart. We feel it as if it's a sacrifice because that's actually what we want. But we've gained all things in Christ Jesus, all things. And it is no accident. It is no accident that bread is used here. That which represents life and sustenance. I mean, here is this offering of grain or bread when it's cooked before the Lord. It's in response to what God has already done for us. Keep that in your mind. And so he's provided that bread, hasn't he? Ultimately. And practically, I mean, is it any surprise that when we come to the New Testament, that one of the ways that Jesus describes himself is what? I am the true bread that comes from heaven. I am the bread of life. So I know many of you, if you're like me, we're reminded here as we speak of the required perfection and unpolluted nature of this offering and how we are to offer ourselves in response to God, how imperfect and polluted we are. I, I'm reminded of that. How insufficient our meager offerings are before the Lord that, that, that this offering before the Lord is not pleasing before Him. We must confess that we in ourselves, as much as we might strive to give, 
is not an acceptable sacrifice before the Lord. We're reminded that we are wholly dependent upon Christ Jesus. And, and while these offerings in the Old Testament were instituted by God, even these offerings didn't and can't accomplish satisfaction. They, they didn't ultimately and actively fulfill God's perfect will. And so if, if even those in the Old Testament and even us responding to what God has done of giving our whole selves to Him, if, if that's still polluted and if that's not enough, then, then why even talk about Leviticus 2? Why even talk about our response? Because our response is not enough. And you're right. And that's where this drives us even further to the Lord Jesus Christ and our dependence upon Him. And it's where the author of Hebrews helps us understand this within the context of redemptive history. The author of Hebrews quotes David from Psalm 40 as David is speaking about these particular offerings. And in Hebrews 10, the author there Speaking of the Lord Jesus says these words, and listen to this. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, and here's the Psalm 40 part, looking at these um, offerings, sacrifices and offerings you've not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have, ne you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and bird offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So what are we getting at here? Well, remember what we learned last week? Jesus Christ is that pleasing aroma before the Lord. He is that pleasing aroma before the Lord in the spilling of His blood. That was last week's Leviticus chapter 1. The blood spilt and thrown against the altar. He is the pleasing aroma in his death, but not only in his death. Brothers and sisters, if you, like me, struggle with going, well, do, is what I had to offer enough? The answer to that is no. But the good news of the gospel is that what Jesus Christ has offered is enough. Because while he is that pleasing aroma before the Lord in his death, what we have here in Leviticus 2 is he is also that pleasing aroma in his life. His life lived for you. He has perfectly done God's will in your stead. Not only died for you, but he's, he's lived for you. Theologians talk about passive obedience of Christ. And there's a part of that as he passively takes our sin upon himself and his active obedience. What's his active obedience? He actually did God's will for you. Do you have a response to the Lord that puts you in right standing before him? It is not your work. It is your faith in the Lord Jesus who has done that work for you. Are you resting in that work? Are you resting in his work for you? Jesus is.
He indeed is the bread of life. How do you respond even this morning? Let's pray, shall we? Our God in heaven, we are thankful for your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. Would you now, Lord, be with us, teach us, mold us, make us into the men, women, children that you've caused us or that you've called us to be. And Lord, we do, we do struggle. But would you remind us even this morning, those, those who might struggle with, my, my life just doesn't measure up. Would you gently say to us, you're right. But the Lord Jesus does. And when the accuser stands and says, well, look at him, look at her, look what they've done, that our advocate rises and says, this one, uh-uh. He or she belongs to me and I have lived and I have done God's will perfectly in His stead or in hers. Lord, may we leave today with that encouragement. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.